Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first ever TraderAid podcast. We're going to have a little fun today. We're going to talk a bit about everyone's favorite indicator. Okay, maybe not, but at least an indicator that everyone knows, right? Relative strength. Love it. I'm excited for this, man. We've been talking about doing this for a while, starting a podcast, uh, just covering different financial topics that, you know, things in our line of work that we get questioned about either the most or that there's the most confusion about or even just general interest. Uh, we wanted to make a show sort of exploring some of these and I think kicking it off with one of the most widely used and famous indicators in all of financial markets is a great way to do it. So I'm pumped to talk about the relative strength index and just also kind of pumped to be doing this show with you. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun. Relative strength is such an elegant oscillator in that it's simple, but it's really widely observed. And I think by that virtue alone, it has a lot of significance, but we can also backtest it. We can see that over time with certain strategies, it actually can work quite well. Yeah. And the history of this thing is pretty fascinating as well. So I kind of wanted to start there and dive into this character that came up with this indicator back in the 1970s, J. Wells Wilder Jr. What an epic name yeah. that is. That, that <laughs> is an absolutely legendary name. But uh, Wilder was a really interesting character. And I, I think uh, some context as to where this came from helps understand the, the indicator as well and the genius behind it. And I say genius because of the simplicity of the math, which we'll get to a little bit later. But, but the equation itself is, is very simple, but very beautiful. But the guy that created it is so, sort of a unique individual. Not a ton is known about him. He was a pretty private person. When I was doing some research for this first episode, it's, it was actually tough to find things about his life because he was a relatively, I guess, reserved and private individual, which I actually have a lot of respect for. I don't know about you, but it seems like, you know, both of us have been around for a while. We spent a lot of time on, you know, financial media and, and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. It seems to be like there's really two camps of people that are really obsessed with financial markets. They're either really outlandishly like verbose and grandiose traders, sort of the sh like swagger, you know, kind of, you know, the type I'm talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's either that or the super data loving, introverted, reserved, quiet types that just love data and analysis. And Wilder definitely falls into that second camp of introverts that just loved working with data and studying financial markets. And uh, I, personally, I, I respect that camp a lot more. And I uh, find this guy to be very, very interesting. But um, just a little bit of background on him as a person. So he was a mechanical engineer and he had a huge passion for financial markets. I believe he was born in North Carolina in Greensboro in 1930. Super private person. So like I said, it was tough to find details, but he was obsessed outside of his professional life as an engineer with studying financial markets and, and trying to come up with indicators, different way, ways to gauge momentum uh, in the stock market back in the 1970s. And he released a book, which I've read. Did, have you did you read new concepts in technical trading systems? I did not. It's actually really, it holds the test of time. It's most known nowadays for where he introduced RSI for the first time. He put this book out in 1978. Um, but there's other stuff in there, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, he also created the average true range indicator, ATR is the acronym, and the parabolic SAR or stop and reverse. Uh, so known for three kind of big, still used to this day indicators. 
Uh, and that book is where he sort of unleashed them all to the public. He shared his work, things that he had been digging into in the 70s. So in 78, his book came out. If you haven't read it, it is if you're a technical trader like myself, it, obviously, it's one of those like foundational books that is worth a read. Uh, and like I said, versus a lot of the other books that sort of came out of that era, I really think this one stands up better than most, uh, mainly because his indicators were so widely adopted and still used to this day. Um, but outside of that, again, private life, little difficult to find stuff on Wilder. I know he was really into stock car racing, like the Indianapolis 500. He was obsessed with that, by the way, and uh, actually went as far to have his own like race team, which oh. is pretty cool. Like that was his hobby. He was just really into the Indy 500. He had a team called the Wild Wilder Brothers Racing, and they actually competed in the Indy 500 during the 1980s. So he was super into car racing, uh, but relatively reserved individual, just kind of lived a quiet life. Uh, he and his wife ended up retiring in Christchurch, New Zealand in the 1990s. Uh, and he struggled with some health issues after that. Like in 2020, he was uh, diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's. And unfortunately, didn't live very much further after that. He died in 2021 at the age of 85. Uh, but we wanted to take a moment to recognize him and his contributions to the world of trading because what he created is arguably one of the most famous technical indicators of all time. And like you said at the beginning, probably one of the most broadly utilized. Uh, RSI is one of those things that almost every trader is roughly familiar with, uh, at least has a decent understanding of where it is on a daily perspective. I, I hear a lot of people talk about it, but today I think this would be a fun chance to sort of explore the math behind it. What exactly is it reading? How how do they come to those numbers? And what does it tell us uh, about momentum or price? So the math behind RSI is pretty straightforward. You're calculating it by taking 100, subtracting it by an equation where there's some division involved. Basically, what you're doing is you're taking the average gain and dividing it by the average loss, adding one to that, and then taking that number and dividing 100 from it, right? So that yeah. at least gives us a sense as to what this RSI is, but there's a little more to it. Yeah, exactly. It depends on the time period that you're looking back at. And the most classic, like I guess you would call it the default range for most people is a 14-day period. So if you were to add the RSI indicator to your charting software, that's usually going to be the default because uh, that's what Wilder worked in. You can change that. It's obviously going to give you different results. And I know some people have different preferences on how they use it. But the classic standard tends to be a 14-day look-back period. Um, so again, like you said, you're summing up all the gains over those last 14 days, and then you're summing up all the losses over those last 14 days, and then you're dividing the sum of the gains by the number of periods to calculate the average gain, and then you do the same with the losses, the sum of the losses by that period to get your average loss. And then you get a ratio, which Wild, Wilder called just the RS, the relative strength. That's the, the pure ratio. From there, the, the RSI is is derived by the equation that you just said. So to get the RSI, it's 100 minus, and then if you were to do the math easy, it's in parentheses 100 divided by one plus the RS. Uh, so very simple calculation on paper for, for those of you that are into math. It, and I think there's a lot of beauty in that simplicity. It's not a ridiculously complicated equation. Your ranges are always going to uh, be in the range of zero to 100. 
uh, in the classic way of reading it from an overbought and oversold perspective, most people are looking at 30 to 70. So values over 70, Wilder claimed, would indicate the market was becoming overbought. And under 30, it was oversold. Um, and that's sort of been like the standard way that most people look at it. But the, we'll explore some different ways specifically in how it's used in trading later. And it was also interesting. There was some commentary by a uh, technical analyst on using RSI and looking at it in the context of the trend you're in. And one of the things that was observed was that when you're in an uptrend, you might be oversold well higher than 30. Just like when you're in a downtrend, you may be overbought well lower than 70. And so there is also nuance with RSI. And I think that's one of the things that makes it interesting as well is that it's a very simple indicator, but there's a lot of different strategies and approaches that we can take to look at it in the context of what price is doing and also what the overall trend is of the instrument to get a better sense as to what RSI might be telling us. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting. Nowadays, it's so ingrained as an indicator within trading, no matter what type of trader you are, like an investor, day trader, swing trader. It's used by almost all three camps consistently, which I think is really speaks to the power of what Wilder created. If you put yourself back in time in the context where nothing like this existed prior to this in the 1970s, this really was pretty groundbreaking and it was a big deal. And I think that's why his book did so well and it's lived on to be so popular th to this day is because it is a really beautiful way of trying to determine relative strength and, and momentum, I guess, of price overall. But like you said, it does. Every indicator has limitations. And even Wilder back in the 70s was encouraging folks to not look at anything in a vacuum. It is simply one read. It has limitations. It, it definitely is less effective in a choppy or sideways market, uh, a little bit harder to, to you know really understand what's going on. But we'll talk about a strategy later that some people use to your point, even when the market is ranging and not really going anywhere. Absolutely. And I think that's the other thing about it is that it's not just something we drop in on the bottom or top of our chart and look at in a vacuum. We can look at it within the context of how price is moving, right? And some of these strategies are built with that in mind. Yeah, so let's explore some of those strategies. In my uh, research on this particular indicator, I came up with about five common strategies that people use the RSI to this day for. The first one being what we already sort of alluded to, the overbought, oversold strategy. And this is probably the most simplistic way that the indicator is used. Uh, like I said, it's looking for values above 70 or below 30 to help uh, participants understand this the security or this index might be overbought or oversold uh, in, with increasing likelihood of a, of a trend change or momentum change. If something becomes ridiculously overbought or ridiculously oversold, the likelihood for a pop and a, a reverse increases. And it doesn't mean it's always going to increase immediately. I think that's one of the limitations with using RSI is that things that become overbought can easily become more overbought. And same goes with oversold. So it is like you said, it's one uh, factor that you would use to analyze momentum. Uh, and that's probably the most basic application uh, of strategy would just be overbought, oversold. Uh, for me, I think it tends to be most relevant on a daily time frame. 
this is something, I mean, we can chat about it later, but as a day trader, it's not one of the indicators I use intraday at all. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later, but the first most common strategy would be overbought and oversold. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense not to be using it intraday, right? It, it's like the sample period that this was really optimized for was a day-to-day -day range. Uh, the initial period that the author was using was that 14-day period. That makes sense, although I love using Using a, a variety of different ranges with it uh, outside of just 14 days. But I also think the overbought, oversold, when we apply just a, a little bit of contextual nuance to it, it, it helps a little bit more, right? So if we're looking at overbought, it's important to at least say, okay, well, it's overbought. Now, where's there maybe a turning point in the way that price is moving? And if we do see a turning point and momentum decisively shifts from being you know, strong and upward to we're getting exhausted and we're actually starting to break down, then that indication takes on a little bit more meaning because you're seeing a correction in price from a pretty overbought market, right? So I think that that the same exists for oversold as well. You know, if you see, particularly if you're able to backtest RSI with whatever it is you're trading and see whether those measures have any real correlation with a reversal in price. And if so, after what periods of time and after what kinds of extremes are being seen, some things it doesn't matter at all. Others, it actually does. Um, and, and you can actually see some patterns of behavior that might give you a little bit more of an edge when trading. Yeah, for sure. The second strategy that it's very related, but uh, I find very interesting is the RSI diversion strategy. So this is sort of plays into what we were just talking about. Sometimes it, it, I think it's most interesting to look at the divergence between price and RSI when it is in one of those overbought or oversold conditions, because that is potentially another clue within the same indicator that you have a momentum change coming. Um, so if you're, you know, reading values above 70 or below 30, and then you start to see this divergence between price and RSI, that can be another input for, hey, we might get a momentum change here. I have found this personally to be difficult to time. And I'll just be honest about that. As a trader, the divergence strategy is more, in my mind, tends to be background information. Like I'm conscious of it in the back of my head, but it is insanely difficult to time those trades. So just to dig into what that means a little bit more, if you have price going up, uh, you know, continuously making higher highs and you have the RSI making lower highs, that's what traders would refer to as a divergence. Um, there's different time frames that you can look at this on. Obviously, the daily I still think is the most powerful, but four hours is another common time frame. That's when I, I interviewed a trader for for TraderAid a while back that uses the four hour. Uh, and I, I think there's some validity to that, too. But you're looking for that divergence as a clue, additional clue that price might be changing direction. Because if we think about the math here, what is that telling us? If you have a stock that's continuously going up, but the RSI is starting to slip and go down at the same time, the equation makes it pretty easy to understand what's happening here. So you're basically getting a slow grind up, so very, very little movements in stock price in terms of green days, like it's not going up violently, but your pullbacks are relatively violent. Right. So you have some pullbacks and then you have like the slow grind up. That's that's the environment that creates the RSI pullback which if you think about what that's telling us, 
it's aggressive selling usually. So that would create something like that where you have a violent down day and then several days of just slower notching back up, back up, back up, back up. That's going to give you that divergence where your RSI is actually going down. Cause again, we're looking at averages here to create a ratio. So it's telling me the averages of the down days are actually greater in that particular scenario than the up days, even though price is still creeping up. It's being offset by some very aggressive, swift down moves, sometimes an indication of people taking profits or, or exiting the trade. Uh, again, it's it's showing further weakness. So I think that's why people look for that divergence, because it's yet a, like a second clue within the same indicator. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's exactly where I think that some of these indicators can start to become even more interesting for trading is when you start to see these different patterns that coalesce or where you see signs in price and in the indicator or across multiple indicators that sort of tell you the same thing. You know, not to go too far in the weeds, but when you see a change in momentum in price and you're rejected at a, a pretty key level and RSI is starting to drift lower in terms of momentum, that's another potential sign that you might be starting to see a reversal. And um, that's when you see that sort of coalescence, right? And I think that that's a pretty important theme that we'll continue to talk about as we get into more advanced areas of um, sort of intersecting indicators and uh, and price analysis. But I think in the context of RSI, that's one thing that does make it pretty interesting. And I'll have another little tidbit on that later. Awesome. And the, the th so moving on, the third most common strategy associated with the RSI is something called the RSI range bound strategy. And this kind of gets at something you alluded to earlier. Not everybody is waiting for RSI to be plus 70 minus 30 before using it as actionable information. Uh, there are some folks that actually trade with it while it's in the middle there. Uh, looking for clues that price is likely to bounce. If you're caught in a range, you know, this is very timely at the time of recording this because the stock market has been uh, relatively stuck in a range for quite some time. RSI can still be used as an input there in the middle of that range. You could use, this is something that I personally do, the halfway point above 50, below 50 as a general gauge of strength in terms of like who's who has the upper hand, the buyers or the sellers. So you don't have to wait for extreme printings. You can use the midpoint like some people do with the range bound strategy. And a lot of times they're also looking for reversals. So they're wanting to initiate inside the range. So a lot of traders won't take the trade. Say, say something is ridiculously oversold. It's below 30 on the RSI. A lot of traders use the strategy. They won't initiate while it's below 30, but they'll wait for RSI to come back above 30 before taking the long. So they're using it as another signal or input of strength to say, hey, it is time to catch this knife or buy this dip because RSI is no longer oversold. So that's referred what's referred to as the range bound strategy. Um, there's a couple different ways of doing that. You can do it above and below the mid, or you can wait for RSI to confirm your suspicion that, hey, I think this is really oversold. Instead of buying or catching a knife when something is getting absolutely batted down, some traders will wait for it to pop back plus 30 before they initiate a position. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the important part about this as well. It's just the idea that we can 
use it within the context of a framework, right? It's not just necessarily that it hit some extreme reading, but it's that it hit that extreme reading. And now we're starting to see some sort of reversion, both in price and in the oscillator that gives us a sense that maybe there's a momentum change here. I think that's what really provides a lot of value to relative strength, because the way it calculates the movement of price within the time period we select gives us a view that's different than just what's happening with price on the screen that might allow us to have a better better sense of momentum than just looking at the way the chart is moving, particularly for newer traders, where it might not be as apparent to them just looking at lines on a chart. RSI can give a more nuanced view of what's happening with that momentum underneath the surface. And when you can combine it with other factors that are happening, it starts to take on new meaning and new potential. For sure. And the fourth strategy is called RSI trendline break strategy. This is not to get too meta here, but this is where people are doing technical analysis on a technical indicator, basically. Wait, is that uh, like doing technicals on the VIX? No, 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 no. Okay. This is way less egregious than doing technical <laughs> analysis on the VIX. It's similar, though. I remember the first time I encountered it, it kind of caught my attention like, what What in the world are they doing drawing trend lines on the RSI? But we're mentioning it here because it is a popular strategy that some folks use. By the way, we're going through the common strategies, not necessarily as endorsements for them or to say that's how we trade personally, but just to highlight different ways that people use this indicator. So it would be remiss to not talk about this one because you will see occasionally traders draw trend lines across the RSI looking for, you know, am I getting a, a wedge pattern or a descending trend line or ascending trend line looking for breaks of those to potentially give us clues as to you know momentum and strength in a market um, that's a common thing to see i can't speak too authoritatively about it because it's not a strategy that i've ever employed but i do see it happen quite a bit people will draw trend lines on say a series of lower highs on the rsi looking for a bullish breakout above that trend line to confirm their entry on a price chart and the fifth strategy uh, worth highlighting is the RSI multiple time frame strategy. This one is a little bit more common. Uh, I know a lot of folks that do more systematic trading will look at you know where the RSI is on several time frames before making a trading decision, whether it's an entry or an exit. So they'd be looking at like, okay, where is RSI on a daily chart? Where is it on the four hour chart, the 30 minute, so on and so forth. If they have all of them aligning that that gives them the power, the strength that they're looking for to initiate a trade. If, say, everything is you know, about to break out on these multiple time frames, it's just one extra clue that some of those traders will use to initiate positions. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's it's really those convergences, right? It seems like that's a common theme for a lot of these strategies. And I think that when we're trading based off of technicals and different indicators, it is important to have that sort of systematic approach, not just because something is overbought or we looking to fade it, but because it's overbought and it's, it's moving in a way that tells us it's breaking down as an example, that gives us a little more confidence. And then it gives us more places to check as to whether our trade's on point. Yeah, good points. And just I, when we go over this list, it reminds me just like of how cool this is that this guy created something in the 1970s 
uh, with really simple, beautiful math that's used in so many different ways to this day. I mean, that's just, I think, a testament to what he created. And I'm, I'm a history nerd, so I love this kind of stuff. It's just really cool to think about, um, you know, just how simple math can lead to being so widely adopted in the trading community in, the, in whatever way that you use it. It's, it's really cool that this has lived on so long and become so powerful, even to the point of branching outside of financial markets, which I thought was actually one of the most fascinating aspects of the history of RSI is that the math is so simple and so effective for trend analysis that it's actually been utilized in other fields. So there's there's people that use the RSI calculation to study climate data, medical research data, uh, some social sciences have applied the RSI formula to, to basically look for trends in their data sets that are not financial markets. So that's even cooler. Like what an amazing validation for Wilder that like, hey, you came up with something really slick to gauge a very basic gauge of momentum that is being utilized in other industries and other sectors uh, outside of finance. I, I think that part's pretty awesome. Like that had to have made him smile, you know. Absolutely. And I, I imagine it makes him smile, too, that we can calculate it automatically, have the lines drawn for us rather than having to do it all, you know, on graph paper, essentially, as I imagine a lot of people back then were, um, you know, this was something oh, for sure before we really had automated tickers and access to, you know, daily price data and things like that as easily. Um, now we have access to real time data and it's automatically calculated for us and we get to see it all on charts and often in real time. And uh, that's that's such a, a, a an epic change. So it's pretty cool that uh, he invented this during a time where it wasn't just plug in a bunch of code and have it drawn for you. He really had to think through everything he was doing to create that equation, and then would you know have to go back through fourteen days of price data to be able to determine uh, how he's going to draw this out. How he's have to create the equation that you know plots where it's going to be on the graph and then be able to plot that out for however long that time period is often it would be about a year so you know you're doing about 252 trading days worth of math and that's that's a lot of work and it is, uh, yeah. it's incredible and it, it speaks to the the sort of uh, vision that wilder had but also his ability to create something like you said has become pretty timeless yeah, I mean, I think that's what makes this one so cool and makes for a good first show as well. Just something that we're all as traders, even if you're a new trader, I'd wager you're probably at least familiar with the the phrase or the acronym RSI. Um, it's it's one of the first that most traders learn about, but I think uh, not everyone understands where it came from. And it's, it's just really cool to see the broad application of this from such like a humble beginnings a humble guy who's very private just interested in data and obsessed about markets was able to come up with something that exists you know fit almost 50 years later it's still highly utilized um i think you know maybe it's a good time to just sort of openly talk about how we utilize this as well in our own personal trading and which one of those strategies we we related to the most I know for myself, like I mentioned, even though I am a day trader primarily, it is not something I look at intraday. And that's just personal experience where overbought definitely becomes more overbought 
intraday. I think the likelihood is even higher, um, you know, especially if you're looking at shorter time frame candles, one minute, five minute, uh, five minute is my go to. But if you if you take the time to watch RSI in there, you're going to see a ton of what would be considered overbought and or oversold prints that continue to get worse. So I have not found it to be the best intraday for me and it's not something i have on my execution charts but i absolutely have it on a daily chart and i think the other thing that we haven't really mentioned yet that's worth talking about is the psychological weight that it that it has because it's been around for so long it's so easy to understand easy math that it has a big psychological component nowadays that's sort of like ingrained within trading culture. You'll hear even talking heads on on financial television uh, referencing where a stock is on the in terms of the RSI, and so everyone speaks about it. And it's one of those things that's like uh, it's almost like the two hundred daily moving average. Like everyone knows where it's at. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's become that ingrained where maybe not everyone uses it as an input to whatever their personal trading strategy is, but they're consciously aware that this is overbought or oversold, which are two terms that really weren't part of the common trading vernacular until Wilder came along and, and introduced it to the general public. It, it gave people a framework to essentially look at the price of, of an instrument or an equity in a way that they hadn't really considered it before in terms of being overbought and oversold. Um, I think that's really, really fascinating. So for me, not really an awesome input for day trading, but I absolutely am looking at it on a daily time frame. I do look for divergences as well. Like I said, it's not easy to time. I don't use that as tradable information. It's something that I'm consciously aware of that, okay, the RSI is diverging from price. Uh, the likelihood of a reversal is increasing because of that, but it might not necessarily be an actionable entry for me just because I know that information. And then the last way from this list that we talked about that I tend to utilize most is the the mid-range gauge above or below 50. Is this particular instrument or equity, is it trending up or down? I like to use RSI 50 as a gauge of that. Um, just me personally, that's what I found to be most effective in my trading. What about you? Is it is it an indicator you actually use or look at? How do you use your RSI? Yeah, you know, I, I do like looking at it in a number of different ways. It's one of the inputs in some of my back-tested automated signals. Um, I like to combine Bollinger Bands with RSI, so you're basically using relative strength on the Bollinger Bands movement to get a sense as to uh, whether things are getting really extended. And sometimes you can see that as well as the squeeze. So sort of it's like the Bollinger Band squeeze breakout, but you're quantifying it with relative strength. That's one way that I like to use it. And uh, it's mostly something that I use on commodities and momentum types of plays where there's not a lot of other feedback that I'm really looking at. So that's also a signal that really works where other people are doing the same thing. And often they're using a similar, if not the same signal to get in and out. Uh, the other thing that I like to use relative strength for is, you know, and this is kind of meta as well, but I'm I tend to use ratio charts, right? And so 
when I'm looking at something that's quantifying the relative strength versus relative weakness of something, I might, for example, look at consumer staples versus the broader S&P. And as of the time of this recording, they've really rolled over versus the broader market over the last three weeks. And so that's telling me that there's a lot of weakness in consumer staples versus the broader market. There's people that are selling them. So I also Mm -hmm. like to put an RSI indicator on that relative strength chart. So that's where it gets a little meta. And it tells me where there's sometimes extremes in either direction. Right now, it's telling me that maybe this level of relative strength is becoming a little bit exhaustive. So it's just, it's interesting Hmm. to apply relative strength. Like you said, you know, it goes in a lot of areas outside of the market, but it can also be used for ratio charts and intermarket analysis and other areas to just identify where there might be a bit of extreme. And you have to, of course, kind of backtest it a bit and see if it works over longer time horizons, you know, if it's, if it's been a signal that's actually been reliable, but for some of these sector or industry versus broader market relative strength charts, it works well. And um, I find it to be something that, you know, can be a decent signal in the context of convergences elsewhere that are telling me, you know, maybe this is a good time to enter. Oh, that's really interesting. It's cool. I mean, this kind of highlights what we're talking about. It's you have one indicator that everybody seems to use slightly differently, which I think is sort of interesting. You know what I mean? Like we all have our own approaches to how to use this as an input. And I think that speaks to its legacy. So I I would imagine if I was to wager a guess, this is probably not the last time we'll talk about a John Wells Wilder Jr. indicator (laughs) on this show, because I think it's worth exploring ATR. ATR is also very commonly used, the average true range. Uh, parabolic stop and reverse, not as common, but still very famous indicator. So I imagine we'll explore those at some point as well. But shout out to, to John Wells Wilder Jr. What an absolute legend in, in the field of technical analysis. And like I said, I wish we had a little bit more on his life because I, I enjoy that stuff. But a very private person didn't really do a lot of public appearances or interviews, uh, which seems so contra to like finance nowadays where it's very verbose you know what i mean like there's a lot of if if, in finance nowadays if you came up with something cool a lot of people will ride that like their entire career on one call or one creation they create their entire persona around like that that big win and i think it's really interesting that wilder was just not that type of person very interested in the data but very reserved and quiet not a big interview guy didn't like to take tons of credit for his own creations but here he he is you know having created some of the most famous technical indicators in all of trading so i think it's a fun good first show diving into uh to rsi and uh, any final thoughts on this particular subject or indicator yeah, I just think that the, the best part about learning about trading and really, you know, especially if you're technical or indicator driven or both is starting to learn the history and the other applications of what we're already understanding and then going outside of our comfort zone and learning about totally new areas that we've never immersed ourselves in because there's so much to learn. And the more we understand this stuff, the better appreciation we have for how we might take advantage of these tools to get better entries or exits or monitor risk or, you know, quantify where price targets can be. So expect this to be the first of many podcasts where we really dive in to all of this. So if that's of your interest, then stay tuned. Make sure that you subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting service, whether it's Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, or elsewhere, so you can get these as soon as they're posted. 